Section 19 of The Living Animals of the World, Volume 1. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Steve Mayer. The Living Animals of the World, Volume 1, by Charles Lewis Cornish, Editor. The Dog Family, The Wolf. Chapter 5. The Dog Family. The tribe now treated is called the Dog Family, and rightly so, for our domestic dogs are included in the group, which comprises the wolves, dogs, jackals, wild dogs, and foxes. Their general characters are too familiar to need description, but it should be noted that the foxes differ from the dogs in having contracting pupils to the eye, which in bright sun closes like a cat's to a mere slit, and some power of climbing. The origin of the domestic dog is unsettled. The wolf. This great enemy of man and his dependents, the creature against the ravages of which almost all the early races of Europe had to combine, either in tribes, villages, or principalities, to protect their children, themselves, and their cattle, was formerly found all over the northern hemisphere, both in the old and new worlds. In India it is rather smaller, but equally fierce and cunning, though, as there are no long winters, it does not gather in packs. It is still so common in parts of the Rocky Mountains that the cattle and sheep of the ranch holders and wild game of the National Yellowstone Park suffer severely. In Switzerland, the ancient organizations of wolf clubs in the cantons are still maintained. In Brittany, the Grand Louvetier is a government official. Every very hard winter, wolves from the Carpathians and Russia move across the frozen rivers of Europe, even to the forests of the Ardennes and the Fontainebleau. In Norway, they ravage the reindeer herds of the Laps. Only a few years ago, an artist, his wife, and servant were all attacked on their way to Budapest in Hungary, and the man and his wife killed. The last British wolf was killed in 1680 by Cameron of Lochiel. Wolves are common in Palestine, Persia, and India. Without going back over the well-known history of the species, we will give some anecdotes of the less commonly known exploits of these fierce and dangerous brutes. Mr. Kipling's Jungle Book has given us an heroic picture of the life of the Indian wolves. There's a great deal of truth in it. Even the child-stealing by wolves is very probably a fact, for native opinion is unanimous in crediting it. Babies laid down by their mothers when working in the fields are constantly carried off and devoured by them and stories of their being spared and suckled by the she-wolves are very numerous. Indian wolves hunt in combination, without assembling in large packs. The following is a remarkable instance recorded by General Douglas Hamilton. When returning with a friend from a trip to the mountain caves of Alora, we saw a herd of antelope near a range of low rocky hills, and as there was a dry nulla, or watercourse, we decided on having a stalk. While creeping up the nola, we noticed two animals coming across the plain on our left. We took them at first for leopards, but then saw that they were wolves. When they were about five hundred yards from the antelope, they lay down quietly. After about ten minutes or so, the smaller of the two got up and trotted off to the rocky hills, and suddenly appeared on the ridge, running backwards and forwards like a Scotch collie dog. The larger wolf, as soon as he saw that the antelope were fully occupied in watching his companion, got up and came as hard as he could gallop to the nola. Unfortunately, he saw us and bolted, 
and his companion, seeing there was something wrong, did the same. Now it is evident that these wolves had regularly planned this attack. One was to occupy the attention of the antelope, the other to steal up the watercourse and dash into the midst of them. At another time, a brother officer of mine was stalking a herd of antelope which were feeding down a grassy valley, when suddenly a wolf got up before him, and then another, and then another, until fourteen wolves rose out of the grass. They were extended right across the valley in the shape of a fishing net or jelly bag, so that as soon as the herd had got well into the jelly bag, they would have rushed on the antelope, and some must have fallen victims to their attack. They have been known to join in the chase of antelopes by dogs. Captain Jackson, of the Nizam service, let his dogs course an antelope fawn. A wolf jumped up, joined the dogs, and all three seized the fawn together. He then came up, whipped off the dogs and the wolf, and secured the fawn, which did not seem hurt. The wolf immediately sat down and began to howl at the loss of his prey, and in a few moments made a dash at the officer, but when within a few yards thought better of it, and recommenced howling. This brought another wolf to his assistance. Both howled, and looked very savage, and seemed inclined to make another dash at the antelope, but the horse-keepers came up, and the wolves retired. The Indian wolf, if a male, stands about twenty-six inches high at the shoulder. The length of head and body is thirty-seven inches, tail seventeen inches. The same species practically haunts the whole of the world north of the Himalaya. It varies in color from almost black to nearly pure white. In the Hudson Bay fur sails, a very variety of color between these may be seen, but most are of a tawny brindle. The male grows to a very great size. One of the largest ever seen in Europe was four years at the London Zoo. It stood six feet high when on its hind legs, and its immense head and jaws seemed to occupy one-third of the space from nose to tail. Horses are the main prey of the northern wolf. It will kill any living creature, but horse flesh is irresistible. It either attacks by seizing the flank and throwing the animal, or bites the hawks. The biting power is immense. It will tear a solid mass of flesh at one grip from the buttock of a cow or horse. In the early days of the United States, when Audubon was making his first trip up the headwaters of the Missouri, flesh of all kinds was astonishingly abundant on the prairies. Buffalo swarmed, and the Indians had any quantity of buffalo meat for the killing. Wolves of very large size used to haunt the forts and villages, and were almost tame, being well-fed and comfortable. Far different was the case even near St. Petersburg at the same period. A traveler in 1840 was chased by a pack of wolves so closely that when the sledge-horses reached the post-house and rushed into the stable, the doors of which were open, seven of the wolves rushed in after them. The driver and traveler leaped from the sledge just as it reached the building, and horses and wolves rushed past them into it. The men then ran up and closed the doors. Having obtained guns, they opened the roof, expecting to see that the horses had been killed. Instead, all seven wolves were slinking about beside the terrified horses. All were killed without resistance. In Siberia and Russia, the wolves in winter are literally starving. Gathering in packs, they haunt the roads and chase the sledges with their unfaltering gallop. Seldom in these days does a human life fall victim, but in very hard winters, sledge horses are often killed, and now and then a peasant. Rabies is very common among wolves. They then enter the villages, biting and snapping at everyone. 
Numbers of patients are sent yearly from Russia and Hungary to the Pasteur Institutes after being bitten by rabid wolves. In Livonia, in 1823, it was stated that the following animals had been killed by wolves. 15,182 sheep, 1,807 oxen, 1,841 horses, 3,270 goats, 4,190 pigs, 703 dogs, and numbers of geese and fowls. They followed the Grand Army from Russia to Germany in 1812, and restocked the forests of Europe with particularly savage wolves. It is said that in the retreat from Moscow, 24 French soldiers, with their arms in their hands, were attacked, killed, and eaten by a pack of wolves. End of section 19